We're in business to save the planet, and we use making clothes to do that. The cure for depression is action. Every one of us has to step up and do what you can according to what your resources are. All right, that was the voice of Patagonia's Yvonne Chouinard, and this is Type 2, a podcast from Looking Sideways, in association with Patagonia that explores the intersection between outdoors, action sports, and activism. In each show, I'm meeting people who are using their passion and involvement with the cultures we all love to try and create change. I've been discussing the issues they're involved in, the changes they're seeking to make, the difficulties involved, and the rewards that follow. My guest for this episode of Type 2 is Christoph Jorda. Christoph is a photographer who splits his time between commercial work that pays the bills and passion projects which seem pursuing unusual, fascinating and sometimes shocking photo stories around the world. I first met Christoph last year in Norway where I watched him talk about his work and I decided there and then to get him on the show. Why? Well, because so far my Type 2 conversations have been with people who primarily try to inspire others to create change by joining a movement of incremental changes that they hope will add up to a larger system change. I'm thinking of people like Hugo from SAS, Jake from Protect Our Winters and so on. And today I'm speaking to a witness basically, a storyteller who's using his talent and privileged position to operate on the other side of the debate. He's documenting the real-time effects of the crisis and the effects it's having both on ordinary people like you and me and on the environments we take for granted that are irrevocably and perhaps irreversibly changing. During our conversation, Christoph referred to this as a subjective and anecdotal approach, uh, which I thought was a little bit harsh because documentarians like Christoph have always been an essential part of any movement for change. In doing this work, he's following in the line of the great photojournalist whose work has inspired him. His documentary approach, I would suggest, is essential in injecting emotion and humanity into a narrative that can often be at arm's length really or characterised by impossible to comprehend predictions and facts and figures that are a little bit abstract, a little bit arbitrary and not that close to home basically. Christoph is documenting the damage that's being done now and the consequences thereof and as such if you ask me is a compelling voice in this entire issue that's why I wanted to speak to him and that's what we discussed during this episode. Hope you enjoy it. You good? Yeah, very good. Thank you for yeah. having me. Yeah, no worries. Thanks for making the journey. So you've been busy? Very busy, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so you, you, you were shooting an album cover yesterday, you were yes. saying. Yes. Yeah, so explain that to me. Oh, um, I made a book about, uh, it's called um, Bergmenschen, it's called uh, Mountain People, and there's all kind of different people in it, like most of them are like alpinists, famous alpinists, climbers, but also we wanted to, to mix it up with musicians, politics, uh, actors, um, who love the mountains. Yeah, and, um, who have, so that, who have that in common. Yeah, yeah, exactly. They have this one thing, the mountains in common, and and uh, but they're different, of course, different people. Yeah. And I met, uh, because of that book, I met the, a South Tyrolean band 
they're called Ganes okay. and these two sisters. And they sing in, in a language only 30,000 people speak. It's Ladin, Ladinish. Because South Tyrol, so people speak what? Italian? Italian, German. Um, German. And in school, they started to, to teach again in that original language in Ladinish. Ladin. Yes. Right. So is that the only place it's spoken in the world? I uh, some of them are uh, in Switzerland as well. Right. So but these it's little, very, very small. Little pockets. Of yeah, 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 yeah. Still. And, and so it, this, this band sing in, in this in, language. In this language. Right. And it's so beautiful. Right. And the photo I took of them, like Ghanis, means, means like water women. Yeah. So, and I took a kind of difficult photo of them. I put them, the face into the water. Um, so there's the reflection on the water yeah it's hard to describe it's like on one you, is reality on the you. other one is uh yeah and we got along really really well so they asked me to shoot their new album cover nice yeah and i had a, like a crazy idea about uh going to a frozen waterfall and setting up a mirror and they are re reflecting in the right. mirror and it was crazy like two days of work for just one photo and we went up 2600 meters to that frozen waterfall close to a little cabin and yeah it was crazy but in the end it, it worked right it worked so yeah. how did you choose the people for the book um the book was not my idea it oh, was okay. the idea of uh, michael ruland he's the chef editor of the bergsteiger magazine okay and in the magazine there are those kind of interviews so there's those profiles that have been collected into yes yeah. and his big dream was to make a book like this yeah and uh, he asked me if i want to photograph it and i was like Phew. like he presented the idea to me and i'm like i it took me five months actually to say yes because all of those people they're so difficult to to, to get kind of you know they're on expedition yeah they're all on some kind of movie things you know festivals here and there so they don't sit at home and wait till you call them and say hey can i take a photo of you yeah and i wanted to take like kind of special kind of photos like each photo is different yeah and some of them are quite kind of difficult it needs a lot of patience to, to get it because none of like i didn't use any photoshop or anything yeah. all the photos are real so and to photograph 30 of them it's like a lot a lot of work yeah you know yeah and right you don't make any money with a book it's just for for the for the heart you know yeah to sure have a book so this is why it took me five months to actually to to decide yes i'm going to do it right yeah and so and then we took us one year to photograph wow really yeah yeah so that's so the payoff for you like the the reason to do it is to sort of explore these creative ideas that you've just described like also you know also to to sit down with those kind of people and and spend i said at least i need one hour with you yeah otherwise i don't i'm not able to take a photo because you always see the relationship between the ph photographer and the model in front of the camera yeah and just just stopping by and say uh let's take a photo yeah it doesn't work oh in that often does the pictures with me for the podcast will be nodding his head at this because it, it's always like okay you've got 10 minutes to do the pictures now and he's yeah. always like what the fuck <laughs> yeah, I don't know what do you mean <laughs> yeah 
So and then it like when when you get the chance to sit down with Reinhold Messner or yeah. like the big names of climbing or actors and just talk to them and, and, and take a photo. Yeah. It's just an amazing opportunity that probably just once in your lifetime. And yeah. I talked to my wife and said, you know, it, I, I got this kind of offer and it's going to be like a, let's say like a shitload of work. <laughs> and I have to drive to South Tyrol just to take one photo and drive back again. Yeah. And she said, do it, do it because this chance won't come back. You know, yeah. well, it sounds like from what I understand, you know, for you, it's about finding the balance right between the commercial work that, that pays pays the bills yes because you obviously do a lot of that as a, as a photographer yes but then the projects that are, yeah that, are, that you're actually interested in yeah so how when you do a trip <laughs> yeah how do you approach it because obviously you kind of visit in two destinations aren't you you visit in the destination that perhaps the authorities want you to see yeah and then you have the side of the country that you're obviously trying to document which yeah. is the, the the real life of that country yes. and in those countries like Iran the gap between those two is is huge right yes definitely so how do you approach that because obviously that's a pretty sensitive thing to go there as a photographer and a journalist and yeah. try and is it difficult to kind of get the story that you want to get in that situation definitely but that makes it interesting you know this is like i always try to stay with host families yeah so i have that connection and i have somebody who's kind of speaks the language you know and they also can tell me where to go, where not to go, what to do, what not to do, what is safe, what is not so safe. Yeah. You know, and um, it's not that you walk around with your big camera and and and, and photograph everything. It's yeah. a lot of, we call it hip shots. You just have the camera somewhere uh, and you just press the button, press the button and hopefully there's one good picture, you know. Right. Also, I have sometimes I just put it on the back of my backpack, the camera. Right. And have like a cable into my pocket where I can press the shutter. And okay. I just walk around and press the shutter. And people... It's pretty risky then. It is, yeah. Because... Yeah, and you, you were traveling on a tourist visa. Yes. And was that... That was a conscious decision, presumably, to... I'm, I'm always a tourist. Yeah. When you go to this kind of countries and say you are a journalist, it's different. No chance. Yeah. Like no chance. Because then you get the other country, the official country yes. that they want to show you. Yeah. This is, it's not the, not why I go there. Yeah. yeah. Of course. I, I kind of always have to, to act like a tourist. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, there is still the police going around and checking and doing this and that, but they won't do anything to me, you know? Yeah. This is always the thing what you have to keep in mind when you're in this kind of countries, like I have the privilege to be a German. Yeah. It sounds stupid, but I'm kind of something better, you know, to say it. Well, you, no, I understand. Like you have, you, it sounds like my well, country it's, it's, it's privilege. You know, we're, yes. we're, we're privileged because if we, if we travel, you almost have a, an extra life. Exactly. You know, you've got to get a jail free card. Yes. You know, and, and, yes. and, and if, when you travel, to those places um you, you're aware of that yeah and you and and it is something that you feel like well if the worst happens i can kind of call on that right my country cares for me yeah. you know i'm not from somewhere in africa yeah where, you know and this is i experienced this in the lebanon i wanted to go to the lebanon to photograph um 
the refugees there to the close to the Syrian border. Yeah, which is another big theme of your work and one yes. of the things I was obviously really interested in talking to you about yeah. for this. Like um so yeah, so how was that? And and I was at the airport in Frankfurt and just a couple of weeks before I've been to Israel. And Israel is like the the enemy of, of the Lebanon. Yeah. And I was so bored I just flipped through the pages in my passport. And a guy next to me said, so where you want to go? And I said, like Beirut, Lebanon, you know? And he said, no chance. I said, what, what, no chance? And he said, you have like a visa of Israel in your, in your passport. They won't let you in. I was like, fuck, he's probably right, you know? And I just ripped out the, the page with a visa. <laughs> oh, you did? <laughs> yeah, I did. And I just like uh, hit it somewhere in, 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 my, in my backpack. So I went to the to the customs it's called yeah yeah, yeah 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 and she was looking through she was looking through my my passport yeah three stamps. she looked all like every single page yeah and then she discovered there's one page missing so make a long story short they just arrested me really i got arrested right and I, I was um arrested for 24 hours right and I was the only white person in there in, in that jail. I was surrounded with like all kind of African states from Senegal and, yeah. and Congo and when and after twelve hours, no food, no drinks, no nothing, I just just knocked on the door and said, Hey, could you please have like a water or something or an apple? Yeah. And they were like, Oh, okay. And they gave it just for me. Yeah. So the black person just knocked on the door, the African. They opened the door and just closed it again right, right. away. Like they, they were not able to speak, you know. Yeah. When I had to pee, they kind of guarded me with the Kalashnikovs to to the toilet, looked that I do my business and back again if somebody from the African or a refugee just knocked on the door, yeah. opened, closed again. And I was like, and it's still so difficult for me, you know, to to have those kind of, just because I'm white, just because I'm from Germany, it's not my fault. It's yeah. just my my the pure luck to yeah. be born in the right place at the right time. Yeah. You know, and we are all human. You know, and this is just, just uh, still still so so hard for me to accept. So is it is it too? Because obviously you've done a lot of travel and documentary trips, basically around the Mediterranean basin, right? Yeah, Egypt. Yeah um lebanon you mentioned yes so is it to document this other experience that you're describing is that mm. was that part of the motivation for, for starting to do these trips um the motivation to do those kind of trips um i've always since i've started photography i've always been interested in in like the the war photographers, you know, the documentary, the, yeah. the, it's like, for me, that's the champions league of photography. Yeah. Doing this kind of stuff. I always looked at those kind of photos and, but also I have the other side. I grew up in the mountains. So of course I'm taking pictures and I have the ability to do it, to do like the ice climbing and skiing and yeah. blah, 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 blah. So I have both of these sides and the motivation to do these kinds of things is for me is we more and more live in in this media world yep. you know and me being a photographer i'm this kind of media guy and with that i have this kind of 
a certain kind of power you want to call it sure. and with this power comes comes for me responsibility to use my talent for something useful yeah and to educate uh my family my kids yeah and who else is interesting in my stories and my experiences yeah to, to, to have some to do some work that has a bit of meaning and exactly and, and we'll you make know a difference. you know and i started the refugee project in 2014 and and then the, like there there was nobody interested in refugees they were like who yeah and um so what was the idea what what did you you know you say you started the project was the idea literally just to go to different places and document the reality of of yeah of, of where these people have come from what, what does it mean what the experience is yes what does it mean what's their stories also to give back some of their notes i think hmm. you, you know in the news you only hear like the numbers yeah 800 here 500 sure. drowned there yeah so i wanted 600 to, migrants drowned today yeah, yeah. so you know so yeah yeah so and next news is fc Bayern München lost <laughs> oh shit you know yeah. you know yeah, and yeah. i well, wanted to go there and to to show and tell what's really going on to in the humanize Euro the stories exactly yeah to show what's really going on on the european border yeah you know and also to give those 400 people that just drowned uh, a name and yeah. a story and a face yeah because yeah. like you say it's it's not it's not far away <laughs> It's like no. It's like just around three, the corner. Three-hour flight. Not even. Yeah. You know? Like this last summer, I've been with my family to Spain just yeah. for for surfing trip and uh, being in the beach. And I, I just went for a run on the beach. And and five, like you're in this little tourist thing, and you run for five kilometers, and suddenly you find like boats. You find those. Uh, uh, how do you say that? The, the boats you you can yeah in inflatables in, in yeah, yeah yeah you see them all over the beach yeah you're like what is going on yeah here? you know it's it's like it hits you so bad yeah yeah so where have you traveled to document um i've been to melia it's like the spanish uh enclave on moroccan country sure and melia and ceuta both are Spanish, and this is the only true land border between Africa and Europe. Right. So, and there are kind of two kind of refugees. Um, the boat people. Yeah. They still have the money to pay somebody for a boat and try to make it over the Mediterranean Sea. And the poorest of the poor, which got like robbed or kidnapped or whatever along the way. Yeah. They, the only chance is to, to try to climb that fence right you know yeah and they hide on a mountain it's called gurugu and um to they hide till they get the chance till they see a chance to to climb over that fence yeah and it like i've been there two times like each of them like 10 days and i stayed with a um i stayed in in Nador on the african side with a priest uh, he's a priest in an Islamic country, so yep. that was kind of difficult. But he illegally helps those refugees not to to cross the border, just to make it a little bit more human right. for them to bring like blankets or food or whatever to. And through through him, I got the access. Just one hour. It like, took me five days to spend one hour with the refugees up on the mountain. Right. To talk with them, sit down with them, and take some photos. And then they said, 
okay, now it's better to go to yeah. leave again. Yeah. And was it difficult to gain trust? Um, yeah, but I was more afraid. Like I walk up there, I'm a white person. I have a expensive camera, you know, and there is that camp. And I went to the Cameroon camp. Yeah. And um, there are 40, 50 people um, just all black people you know speaking french my french is not the best so i was very very nervous to go up there and i didn't tell anybody where i go so the people at home don't know they don't get in trouble yeah so i went up there but it was like they're all like so happy to see me i brought them some soccer balls some the germans bring potatoes of course you know (laughs) (laughs) i brought them some food i brought them some water and then uh it it was all right yeah Yeah. i mean it's always the same isn't it you your worst fears are never fulfilled because people are the same wherever you go all over the world you know and and presumably they would just glad to meet somebody that's going to treat them like another human being you know yeah and, and and they they you know they when they say a white per- person white people it's like then they are in danger yeah. you know the police hunt them and 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 it's really really bad what's going on there yeah so they were more afraid of me than i was afraid of them yeah in the end you know so and you've obviously spent a lot of time in egypt as well right yes yeah so yes. how many times have you been over there oh i don't know eight times nine times okay so always the same place yes always the same place yes yeah. and you've got good relationships there now yeah right? i you know it was kind of in the beginning of my career i wanted to do something like some something really how to say it it's something really impressive you know i wanted to go where it's like really dirty and dangerous yeah. and blah you know i want to well you mentioned the war correspondent thing you know there's yes a, there's, and there's, i wanted to a gla- be there's a glamour to that isn't there exactly you and know? i wanted to be somebody like them so i i discovered a small ngo and they are taking care of those gar- of those garbage people yeah so there's not a working garbage system in egypt so the poorest of the poor they collect the garbage and then they bring it to their garbage city and the women like sort them out, select it, and then they sell it again. And those little villages are illegal. Right. And like the pe- how they live there, it's it's like basically living on a on a garbage mountain, you know? Yeah. And um I went there I don't know when, two thousand eleven or something, the first time. And when I saw it for the first time, I was like, okay, this is going to be a subject I want to photograph for the next years. So I went there with an, with a small NGO. And um, when I was there, I already started to set up my own kind of structure. I wanted to have a car. I wanted to have a, a place where I can stay yeah. so I can come back alone just with a translator. Yeah. So um so i'm kind of independent and can do whatever i want well it goes back to that thing we were talking about earlier it's like try to find the story that you want to tell rather than the story somebody else wants you to tell isn't it yeah um so and you've met a family there right that you're close to is that right yeah 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 um the first years i had the chance to stay with a with a host family yeah but they had there are christians and they i think six seven years ago they left because it was too dangerous for them as Christians. 
and uh, but now I have my own apartment that I can stay. And I found this one family. They're really poor family, but they kind of have that kind of certain how to say it um, dignity. Yeah, yeah, and they're really friendly, you know. And over the years, I gained a lot of trust because I visit them and visit them and visit them all the. So they, my big dream was to to stay to spend like twenty four hours with them. Right. Yeah. It never worked because every time we said okay, now we do it, it was too dangerous for them. Okay. Because at, as I said, you know, it's not always for me dangerous to be there. It's, yeah. I have always have to be careful about the people I meet. So when I leave, all the village or knows hey, what is this white guy doing there with a big camera, blah, yeah. blah, 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 blah. So I kind of put them in, into a, 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 a dangerous situation. Sure. Yeah. So you have to be sensitive about yeah, how exactly. much you, uh, yeah, put them in a compromising position. Exactly. Basically. Exactly. And it's also a place, you know, where you can't just go and, hello, I'm a photographer from Germany. Yeah, yeah. Uh, hey, just, guys. <laughs> just, just act normal. Yeah. And, just pretend i'm not here would you, know, you mind it, posing over there it doesn't it yeah. doesn't work you know yeah, i want course, to have yeah. the real real life and yeah this this is why i keep coming back and back and back also to see how how the the economy is changing of egypt how the politics what the politicians are doing yeah all this kind of stuff yeah. so how has it changed it's getting better it is getting better it is getting better okay yes right yes. they have done some illegal stuff to get some water and some power and um it's kind of getting better, yeah. Yeah. So as a journalist and a photographer and somebody who's used to selling stories, you know, part of your job is to find a story. Um, have you been able to get any interest in, in these stories from, you know, what you might call mainstream media? No. Because I don't, also I don't want, like I'm, I'm more interesting for myself to take those photos and to find those stories than yeah. like make money out of it or or marketing them in whatever kind of way and it's getting more and more difficult to to tell those kind of stories because the magazines they depend on their commercial uh, advertising in their magazine yeah it's less of a space for it really Ex yeah and like if there's a big company let's say adidas you know and they want to 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 have a a whole page of advertising in the magazine and then you have like garbage and yeah babies with flies in their in, in their face and, and dying people and then you flip around and then it's the happy life of Mercedes Benz or whatever. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. work. Yeah. Know? Sure. So and I also want to be independent. You know, I went to the um, I was one of the first on the ground when the earthquake in two thousand and fourteen happened in Nepal. Yeah. And some kind of news agency kind of figured out that I go there. Yeah. So they were calling me, yeah, you need to go there, 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 we need this and this photo. And I said, no, yeah, no, I want to, like, this is just, I just do this for myself. I go there for myself and I don't want to have any agency or whatever customer telling me what to do or where to go. Yeah. Yeah. But with this kind of stories, I go to schools, to speeches. Sometimes I do an exhibition yeah. and just tell my experiences. Yeah. What I've experienced. In yeah. the way that, tells the story in the most honest way yes definitely yeah. so obviously one of the predictions of like the climate crisis is yeah. that there's going to be more 
refugees yeah, basically a lot more yeah um yeah. in the time that you've been doing this is that something that you've noticed changing that that there are more that, that this is becoming more of a problem due to this factor oh, definitely know. yeah yeah i mean right now the uh, the unhcr um uh, estimated there about 70 million people are on the run two-thirds of them because of the climate change wow they estimated in 2030 like in 10 years there will be 400 million people on the run from 70 million from 70 in two in 10 years to 400 million wow the eu with the brits they have 500 million yeah just imagine how many people are going to be on the run yeah yeah and um are you seeing any change in the way the authorities are trying to deal with it or is it still basically put up fences and hope yeah. the problem goes holding away? them back yeah making dirty deals with with dictators with people we usually as the you don't like yeah to hold them back hold yeah. them back hold them back hold them back yeah so can you see um you know obviously in in experiencing these situations and documenting them um is there any any positive things that you see like any, apart from i don't mean just the people obviously but yeah. just the widest the wider political situation that we're describing can, can is it possible to be positive about that situation i th i hope the only positive situation i see is the next generation growing up with this kind of issue or a problem and yeah i think it's going to be the climate crisis the refugees it's going to be like the biggest challenge the world has ever faced and i think like i'm already teaching my son he's three now you know i telling i'm telling him about the stories that that kids don't that they have to eat garbage you know they don't have water blah 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 yeah just to educate them and i i hope this is the that we our generation now has to educate them and make them more open-minded and also like what i want to see is that the people at least once in a lifetime travel to that kind of space or place and experience it firsthand yeah. because this would open their eyes yeah and make them more open-minded and also appreciate more um the life they live here in europe in germany you know yeah this is sometimes it makes me really sick when i hear people explain uh, complaining about this and that like small things you know it's yeah. just like first world problems yeah yeah and you just came back from a trip and uh, you know i didn't get the snow that i wanted in japan exactly <laughs> exactly you know it's like it's, yeah yeah you know it's like when you talk about that thing, yeah yeah grab me the world's tiniest violin please yeah yeah, yeah exactly so yeah. this is of course i'm a, i'm a skier you know and i want to have good snow yeah of so course. and when you go in the mountain you're like oh, you know it could have been better you know but yeah. then on the other hand is look around yeah you know? yeah at yeah. least we we have the comfort to be like angry about bad snow yeah how crazy is that yeah you know this yeah is, well the things we take for granted you know sometimes because obviously where you've been visiting, you know, water, I mean, <laughs> it's a problem. <laughs> Clean water. 
Uh, yeah. And then occasionally, you know, I walk past my neighbor yesterday who's literally got a hose pipe pointing at his car. Water's going down the drain and, you know, he kind of... And it's drinking water. It's worth remembering sometimes yes. what a privilege that is to... We are swimming in drinking water. Yeah. Um, I That's mean, crazy. That's so crazy. Like, yeah, when you when you go to a garbage area or like where there's no water at all. Yeah. Nothing. Yeah. Nothing. And we swim in it. Yeah. You know, we flush our toilet with drinking water. Yeah. Or we make fake snow with it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that leads quite nicely to... Um, <laughs> so we met in Norway last year, obviously. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, you gave a really great presentation about your work. And one of the things that you've also been documenting is climate change in, in the mountains, right? So yeah. um, you've... So how, maybe if you explain what that looks like, because there's a few elements to this isn't there like with the work that you've been doing the, the glacier thing you mean yeah well there's the glacier thing and yeah. then you documenting like the resorts as well and yeah yeah so yeah. the glacier thing it started is, with the glacier thing. yeah which so, is which is i mean first and foremost just incredibly striking images that you've created with your brother right yes yeah, my brother yeah my so could you brother. explain a little bit about that um so my brother is a kind of semi-professional snowboarder yeah and he's we are identical twins so we are a perfect team in the mountain <laughs> so without talking we come to a location and we know okay right this 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 has to be done yeah we went to the pitstar glacier to he discovered like a, a huge ice cave there and he said let's go there we need to take some photos and like i i we made like a, we found that crazy cave and had like artificial light and made like a, a very nice photo, I would call. Yeah. And it was also a, a door opener for my career. And this photo has been like everywhere, National Geographic and blah, went around the world. Yeah. So, but my brother, he said, ah, that photo is not good. You know, <laughs> he, he could be better here and there and the hand needs to be a little bit more on the board. <laughs> I, don't, I don't like my back hand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the hand sticks <laughs> on. Can, can we go reshoot that? And he that? was like, let's go back. And I was like, dude, what do you want? It's, it's like everybody loves it. And yeah. he's like, no, let's go back. So six weeks later, we came back to that same location. Yeah. And it was gone. Right. It was, it was in February and yeah. it was gone. It like was literally gone. Thousands of thousands of years old glacier ice. It's like a, cave like it's like a cathedral yeah broke together just it was gone melted away in february right and we both stood there he has kids i have kids and we're like what the fuck is going on yeah it was like the first time it kind of really hit me in the face like it's real yeah it's real you know growing up in the mountains and before that you heard about climbing change. And yeah. Like, you have a bad winter. You have a good winter. It's always been like this. Yeah. But now you go to almost 3,000 meters and an ice cave collapse in February because it's too warm. Yeah. And we're like, okay, now we have another mission. Like we use the, the glaciers for like extraordinary locations and, and make those, those nice photos. But also we want to document that world because it's melting very very fast and our kids won't be able to see it so now we have that kind of two missions so you've been finding these locations yes and a lot of it's like pretty gnarly right you know you're having to kind of like basically you know it's it's like abseil in and like you know put yourself in in precarious you know tricky situations right yes um and again is this something that you're doing for personal 
you know to to show in your own way or have you tried to because you said that the press picked that up like national geographic and yes. when you when you added the other element to the story did people take notice or was yeah, it first of all i do it for myself yeah just to just to freak out a little bit you know just to do whatever i want with with my camera and with my, with my I mean, what, what project I mean, it's brilliant you know, it combines everything that you love right you yes know, exactly documentary yes. photography uh, and uh, then the technical challenge of it and and being in the mountains with yeah. good friends you know and also as you said it's kind sometimes kind of dangerous to go there yeah I mean, so you're <laughs> like the friends are i showed one of them to your our, life to our, insurance you know I, I showed one of them to our friend earlier and he was a bit like jesus like you know because it is gnarly like it, it yeah. looks yeah we we just went in january again right and to, and and went back to the same place gone right. not a single ice cube is there anymore is it always that way then like yeah so every it's, time it's, it's gone it's so crazy how fast that melts that is that is actually this is terrifying it is and you you know when you come keep coming back each year or yeah. twice a year then you actually see how fast it melts yeah you know and it's it's so crazy. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And I, yeah, as I, yeah, it's I just do it because I want to. Yeah. It's just I'm not thinking about selling it or anything. I just want to make those crazy nice photos and also documenting it. And yeah. afterwards, I'm not very good in selling my photos. You know, I'm better in making them. Yeah. I'm not a good salesman, so I just have them and then, yeah. Yeah. And then the other thing that you showed on that trip was like how resorts are kind of <laughs> yeah. tackling this yeah. which was the thing the thing for me that like you know a lot of the things we talked about are about people pretending this reality is not happening in mm. a lot of ways mm. and that for me was i mean you know i spent my life in ski resorts yeah. and taken for granted you know i mentioned snow cannons earlier mm -hmm. and you and you do you do just take for you know if you've spent a lot of time in the mountains and you spent a lot of time in resorts you kind of take it for granted a lot of that stuff you take for granted the, the fact that there's these crazy infrastructure everywhere and yeah and they shouldn't be there basically yeah. Yeah. you know people have people have put those things in yeah whatever um but then when you see like how they so if i'll let you explain so so the, yeah basically you're documenting how resorts in the summer are yes. trying to counteract yes this so how, so yes. how does it what are you seeing uh, destruction <laughs> yeah it's it's like a it's like a it's on the moon it looks like on the moon and it's like a big destruction site you know and as you said you always see it in summer uh, in winter time and it's covered in snow looks and great. everything looks nice looks and fine. easy yeah and if you're there in the summer it's like like those how you call it the big machines bugger no, yeah yeah bigger. yeah yeah everywhere and cranes and and noise and and and, and it's like a huge it looks like they're building like a skyscraper there yeah yeah and, and it's and it's, it's, it's crazy and it's all to keep the the resorts in place basically because you it was yeah. am i right in thinking like one of the places you went is to prepare for the race for this yeah it's in in Ötztal. it's yeah. in a certain glacier yeah and there's like this they ski on the on the last little bit of of ice there yeah and it's like the world cup uh, piss there yeah, yeah, yeah. there yeah but they have long, one problem it goes to the right you know and this, but the stadium was on the left so what they do in the summer they they it's like in, it's saying they just a whole summer they try to to like 
built ice into the stadium, you know, with right. big machines. They try to that so they can have the race in in, in autumn. Yeah, yeah. which and is they, insanity. It really, is, isn't it? It is. It's absolutely crazy. Yeah, how much energy you waste there yeah. just to have one race. Yeah, it's it's for me. It's not understandable. Yeah, it's well, but you know, like I guess. It, it is real and it is happening but kind of like in a way you know when you look at it in this way I almost feel a little bit complicit in a way because you just do accept it you know you do accept as a mountain user that this is like like normal you know like yes. hey fake snow I mean I remember being in Morzine in Fran in the French Alps yeah about five years ago at Christmas yeah. and there was no snow yeah there was literally no snow yeah. and they'd um created you know one piece like around the whole mountain yeah um, and they'd, all the locals weren't allowed to go up the hill because it wasn't the capacity. So no, really? Yeah. So all the locals season passes didn't work. So they'd prioritize tourists. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it was, it, like, and, yeah. and you know, all we had friends there that were living there for the, for the winter. They just couldn't go up the hill basically. Yeah. And I, I mean, I went up there and you were queuing for like an hour to get on a chairlift, <laughs> you know, and I was just a bit like let's just not go snowboard <laughs> yeah yes at some point surely you have to accept that yes. like you can't you just we just let's just let's go for a swim yes you know let's just yeah. do something different yeah it's like no we're gonna do this yeah. you know we're gonna yeah it wasn't fun really yeah you know um but i just heard that the worst part on going to those big resorts is actually the the car drive towards it sure you know it's like i think spending one day in a big ski resort is it's just like like equals 27 kilometers driving your car really like the energy for the chairlift for the as snow an individual yeah as an individual right so that's so the carbon. worst part is like driving to the ski resort yeah so your carbon footprint yeah, exactly is high yeah if you're if you're a user of the resort yes yeah. so where can people see your work that we've talked about uh poo, on the website yeah or a little bit on instagram yeah i'm not that big in social media but but you put your work up there right so yeah the things we've once in a while the things we've described yes um you, you know recently there's a lot of portraits from the book right now that's portraits of yeah. the book but now i start with the glacier thing again i just talked about in january there's some yeah. nice images i will show them but i also if people are interested in like in march i go to innsbruck to speak in some schools yeah about and just i'm not not a climate activist or something you know i don't i don't have the the knowledge but i just tell firsthand experience yeah and this is i think also what the people like i went to patagonia innsbruck and did a speech there yeah about the it was the extended version of the norwegian yeah yeah Lofoten. the one that i saw yeah yes yeah, it's, yeah. It's, it's like a one one and a half hour speech uh, yeah. yeah yeah oh it blew me away i i yeah you know obviously as you can tell i was kind of lost for words at some of it really and and the thing is it's it's pretty obvious especially like the, the mountain stuff the ski resort stuff it's it's there in plain sight but like the funny thing is i've never really thought about it myself it was not my idea you know we we met in the Lofoten and the Norwegian uh, thing with the Patagonia action snow action camp and I got a call from Patagonia and they said do you want to come and I was like oh, of course I've never been to the Lofoten let's go yeah you know and um and I always thought I should go there to document it 
to doc to photograph it so they have some photos yeah and then one week before i left hannah bailey said so how long is your speech and i was like what the hell are you talking about <laughs> you know i was like Cheers, hannah. <laughs> uh, what, what's going on and she said you know you have she, she she looked on my website and she said she said you have like the glacier things which are melting you have like the refugees you have the poverty you have everything like all the facts of climate change and i was like damn you're right <laughs> yeah you're right and and then and then she's i asked her so what do you want me to do and she just said you are there to inspire and this kind of stuck with me you know you are there to inspire yeah yeah and since then since then i'm like doing this kind of of speech and showing my, my yeah, work yeah. and telling the stories yeah yeah so what's next uh next uh, i have to make some money <laughs> <laughs> Good i point. do some uh tourism stuff yeah to make some money to uh to do some other trips again yeah yeah and then uh doing some more mountain stuff we go back to the glacier still some work there and then in april i gonna leave with my family for three months road tripping spain portugal surfing nice and spent like with the most important thing in life with a family yeah say like for three months that sounds fun like yeah, fuck it all yeah now yeah. it's family time great yeah well thanks for doing it man thank you very much yeah it's great thank yeah. you so there you go that was my episode of type two with christoph jorda hope you found that one as insightful and as inspiring as i did my thanks to christoph for making the effort to come and see me in munich on that day and to my friend david benedict for lending me his flat so we could record the episode nice one david great to see you if you want to find out more about christoph's work best thing you can do for that is go and check out his website christophjorda.de or over at instagram at christoph underscore jorda nice one as you probably know by now i release new episodes of type 2 every month or so they appear in my usual looking sideways channel every four weeks you can subscribe to that via apple podcasts spotify or wherever you get your podcasts if it's your first time checking out what i do make sure you get stuck into the back catalog there's well over 100 episodes of interviews with some of the biggest names in action sports and i'm building a little catalog of type 2 episodes over there as well if you want to check the back catalog of this little stream nice thanks for listening i'll see you next time nice one mm-hmm.